Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. A seat, get your Bible out and go with me to Acts chapter number 18. Acts chapter number 18. And once you find Acts chapter number 18, put a finger there, put a ribbon there, whatever you have, maybe a pencil, something like that. Uh, and, and then I want you to find 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, okay? Acts chapter 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. There was a little boy who went out to play baseball and got out to the plate and had his bat and his ball and he shouted out to the empty field, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he threw the ball up and strike one. He looked at the ball and he grabbed it and he said it again, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he threw the ball up and strike number two. This time he really went after it when he shouted. He said, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. (sighs) Throws the ball up. (sighs) Strike three. He looks there at the ball at the ground. He looks up and he shouts again. (gasps) I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. Today, this is the story of us. Specifically, the title of today's message is God's Answer for Discouragement. God's Answer for Discouragement. In Acts chapter number 18, verse number 1, it says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. You guys remember last week how we talked about Paul preaching the gospel on Mars Hill. My goodness, last week we saw a revelation of God. It was deep. It was theological. It, it was, it was a, an amazing realization of what God had done. But this one verse tells a story, and, you know, we could read this story, this story of us, and see that there's repetition. Because Paul, once again, when he arrives in Corinth, does what Paul does. He shows up, he finds the synagogue, he preaches about the Messiah having to suffer and die. There's a persecution that comes again. I mean, it's the same story. And if we're not careful, we could get into the monotony and the minutiae, and we could just kind of relax back and say, oh, well, you know, we can kind of just skip through these verses, and maybe there's not really another story. Maybe it's the same story. Maybe we should move on to when he goes to Ephesus, and maybe we should move on to when he goes to Jerusalem, and, and all those things. And yet, there's another story to be told that if you can read between the lines, and if you can find out what's going on, it opens up an understanding for our lives today. That's why I had you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, because the Bible will often interpret itself. If you can get the Word of God in you, then you can understand the Scriptures based on what the Scriptures themselves have to say. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, it tells what's going on, because we remember that Paul just came out of Athens. He was just grieved by all the idolatry, and then he preaches this lofty sermon that, that the headiest of heady, you know, were, were, were getting a hold of, and, and some people said, we'll hear you again, and some people believe, but there wasn't really that much fruit, if you remember. We get two names, a male and a female, and then it says, and some others. We don't know how many others. Could have been a lot, could have been a little. But it didn't really seem like there was much fruit, because you don't read in your Bible any letter to the church at Athens, Oh, yeah, you find Thessalonians. Yeah, you find Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. But I don't see any Athens book. Paul never wrote to a church there. It doesn't seem like there was that much fruit. And so he walks away, disappointed probably and discouraged. And where Paul was grieved by the idolatry in Athens, no doubt he would have been grieved by the rampant sin in Corinth. Corinth was a trading route. It was in the middle of a trading route. And they would oftentimes... uh, 
have ships and vessels that came on one side, they would unload, and then they would make the trip across land, and then they would load up on the other ship on the other side and keep going. And so they had stuff from all over the world. It, it would have been a place where many people would have come. It was an economic center and a center of commerce. But with that commercialism also came vice and sensuality. At the top of Corinth, there was a temple to Aphrodite. Aphrodite, some of you guys also know the, the goddess Venus, right, that they had, that they would worship a f- fertility. And so their practices were just gross in, in their, their sexual perversions and the things that took place. In fact, it's stated in, in history that this temple of Aphrodite had 1,000 consecrated prostitutes that every night would descend on the city and with their prostitution would fund that temple. Can you imagine the things that Paul saw there? He would have been grieved in his spirit. He would have known that these people need the love and the freedom that is in Jesus Christ. And he writes to the Corinthian church what he was feeling when he arrived there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, take a look at verse number 1 down through verse number 3. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Now, in Athens, he had excellence of speech. Is that right? On Mars Hill. He preached quite a sermon there, but he says, when I came to you, I didn't do that. Verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's almost as if he changes approaches. You know, any, any fishermen out there? Anybody like to fish? When you're not catching something, what do you do? You change the bait, right? Change the lure. Maybe you change spots. Here Paul is a fisher of men, and he realizes, I only caught a couple with that bait. I mean, that was the, the, the story of creation, the revelation of God. Uh, it was their poets. It was all that. And I really didn't get that much of a catch. So what's he do? He changes bait to the simplest bait he possibly can. And he says, I just purposed in my heart to preach Christ and him crucified. Next verse, look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 3. I was with you in weakness in fear, and in much trembling. In weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Now, many times as we read these verses, maybe you don't do this, but I do this, you know, I think about Paul's other words, right? I think about the fact that Paul boasted in his weaknesses. He said that when I am weak, then God is strong. And so we think of, man, yeah, he was in, the, he was in weakness. And, and what else in fear? Oh, the fear of the Lord. Yeah, he was fearing God and in much trembling. Oh, we're supposed to tremble at God's word. That's what Paul is talking about, right? Man, he's really got it going on. Look, at this guy does everything right. I don't think that's what Paul was talking about. Why? Because he had just been run out of Thessalonica. He had the same people that ran him out of Thessalonica come to Berea. Then he goes to Athens and they really don't receive him that well. And he was persecuted by the I mean, just this stuff had followed him everywhere. Remember, this guy had been, the last time he was in a, a place like this, he was beat up, dragged out of the city, and left for dead. He just had a 50-mile journey from Athens to Corinth. He's by himself. He starts tent making. He starts working again. This guy's tired. He says, I was with you in weakness. In fear, what's going to happen in this place? Are they going to receive again? I mean, is God really with me? And in much trembling, all oh, the persecutions are starting again. I wonder if they're going to try and stone me again. I wonder if this is it. I wonder if this is all that God has for me. Maybe I'll be like Stephen. See, the stress and the weights and the pressures that this man carried of the ministry were now taking their toll on him. And now things are stirring all around him. He says, I was with you in weakness, 
in fear and in much trembling. But remember, this isn't just Paul's story. This is the story of us. Many of us in life can get discouraged. In the monotony and in the minutia of life and day-to-day things, many times we find ourselves wearied out, wore out, burnt out in weakness, in fear. Oh, my goodness, there's a virus out there. There's a political divide. There's things on the horizon that I don't understand. I don't know what's going to happen. Economically, things are going crazy. I was just talking to a financial advisor this week, and he was saying, I don't even know if I'm going to have a job after the way this week has been. It's been so bad. Things around us can shake us. Things around us are moving. Systems and things that we thought were stable, values that people had, now all of a sudden falling, we're in fear and in much trembling. When things start to shake around us, when people start to come against us, things are set on us. Discouragement can come from so many places. It can come relationally. When people don't act like you think they should act, we can get discouraged. When people don't do what we think that they should do, we can get discouraged. When people come against us, when, when they reject us, when they betray us, when they turn their back on us, when we've been so good to them, my goodness, you can get discouraged. Discouragement can also come when your dreams aren't fulfilled, when your hope is deferred, when things don't work out the way that you think that they should work out, when you try and do everything right, and yet you get everything wrong in return. We can get discouraged when our children, even though we raise them right, Start doing things wrong. And we say, what? that's not how I raised you. And we start to get discouraged. Maybe I was a bad dad. Maybe I was a bad mom. Maybe I wasn't the husband or the, the wife that I should have been when the marriage starts shaking up. Maybe I should have done something different. We can get discouraged. Am I talking to anybody today? Because if you're not discouraged yet, and everything's peachy keen, pastor, just hang out for a second, right? The weather will change. The times change and the season changes. But the neat thing about this is that God has an answer for discouragement. We can find this in Acts chapter number 18. God has an answer for our discouragement. No matter what you're facing and what you may face in the future, God has an answer for it. And today, I want to take a look at God's answer for discouragement. First thing is this that I see in Acts chapter number 18. You can turn there back with me because we're going to kind of camp out in Acts chapter number 18 for the rest of today. God's answer for discouragement, number one thing is this, is that he reminds us of his presence. Now, that's all you got today. If this was the only point that I gave you in this whole message, this would be enough to carry you through the rest of your life. Because when you've got God, you've got everything you need. You don't need Jesus and, you just need Jesus. Because God is the source of everything. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth like we talked about last week. In him we live and move and breathe and have our being. If you've got God, you've got all that you need. He reminds us of his presence. Acts chapter 18, turn there with me once again, and we're going to take a look at verse number 9 and verse number 10. Here the apostle Paul is with them in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Things are stirring up, but also there's some fruit starting to show up. And in Acts chapter number 18, look at verse number 9. It says this, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Stop right there for a second. When it says the Lord, that's talking about Jesus. And maybe you have one of those red letter edition Bibles. Notice that the next statement is in red letters. Jesus himself shows up to Paul and starts talking to him. And he says, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. Verse 10, for I am with you. I need everybody in this place and online to say that out loud right now. I am with you. Man, isn't that amazing? God shows up. 
and says, don't be afraid. Why would he say that if Paul was Mr. Faith and no fear? No, he says, I was with you in weakness, in fear and much trembling. Jesus shows up and says, don't be afraid, Paul. Why? For I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. What did he just say? He says, I've got everything under control. I'm with you. I'm right there. When you know that God is with you, the presence of God will change your entire life. As I was studying for this word, I had the thought to go through my journal and look for times that maybe God's presence was with me. In fact, I use an online journal where you can tag your entries. So every night before I go to bed, I journal about my day. And then I tag different things, family, fun, vacation, you know, church, salvation, altar calls. I tag that one a lot of times. I love that one, altar calls, right? Tag that on there. And I have a tag called God's Presence. And I figured when I would look this tag up that I would find a whole lot of journal entries that talked about being in church, worshiping God in song, and feeling the presence of God. And for sure I did. But what I was surprised by was that even though many times when that tag showed up about God's presence, it was many times in the context of praise and worship here in the church, that with that tag also came another tag that I put on a lot of my days called Tough Day. I have a tag called Tough Day. I have some other tags that I put on some of my, my, my days. One of them is called frustration. I have a tag called arguments. I'm not even going to look to my left right now. But it's there. And what was amazing to me was that as I looked at these tags, God's presence, singing to the Lord in church, that it was attached to. I started looking at days surrounding it, and I would notice, and I would read through the journal entry, and I would realize that, man, somebody just turned their back on me. Somebody just betrayed me. Something was going wrong here on the job. We were wondering how we were going to make it. We were wondering what we were going to do. People were, were having troubled times. Our, our children were having problems in school. We were having problems with, in the marriage with one another, and yet, in the midst of the tough day, the frustration, the arguments, and the sadness, all those texts here, that right there, in the middle of all that was God's presence. Maybe you're going through some frustrating times. Maybe you're discouraged. Can I encourage you today? I want you to tag every moment of frustration. Tag every time that you're afraid. Tag every discouragement, every downcast moment of your life. Tag it with the presence of God because Jesus himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus himself said, I will not leave you orphans, but I will come to you. Jesus himself said, I will give you my Holy Spirit to be with you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. God is right there with you. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10 in the New Living Translation. Write it down, mark it down. If you've got to tattoo it on your forehead backwards to remember it every morning, take a look at it with me. In Isaiah 41, 10 in the New Living Translation, God is speaking and he says, don't be afraid. That sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Didn't we just read that in Acts chapter number 18 in the words of Jesus? Here God is speaking, don't be afraid. Why? For I am with you. Wow, don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. That right hand is the right hand of power. That right hand is the place where Jesus himself is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
God is with you. Today, if that's all you took away from this church service, from this sermon, realize that that is more than enough, that God being with you can lift you out of every discouragement that you could ever fall into. But God doesn't leave us there. There's some other things that I see in Acts chapter number 18. Not only does he remind us of his presence, but number two, God's answer for discouragement, number two is that he surrounds us with his people. He surrounds us with his people. You know, one of the biggest discouragements that I see as a pastor when I talk to people is that they feel like they're doing life alone. Yes, they know that God is with them. Yes, they're satisfied in his presence. They're content with God. They love God. They come to church. But there's a longing and a desire that I believe is a God desire on the inside of us to do life with others. And everything that we do is in the context of relationships, both with family, with friends, coworkers, community. God placed us in the midst of people. And we need to know that we are not alone. You know, the Apostle Paul in Athens, remember, was alone. He went there. They sent him across ahead of them, and they stayed to continue to clean up and to do the work that they needed to do and get the church systems in place and make sure that they were steady and stable there in Berea as well as in Thessalonica. There was a work that they were doing in Macedonia. And so Timothy and Silas and probably Luke and others stayed there to encourage the church to help them to learn and to help them to grow and to establish a strong and steady church. But they sent Paul across because it was getting too hot for him there. People were chasing him down, trying to track him down. And so he's there alone in Athens. And he's there alone. And now we know from the word of God that there were times that he was in Athens that people came to him. But for the most part, he didn't really have people around him. And when you're isolated... From others, it can take a toll on you. You can get discouraged. You can get weary. You can start thinking crazy things. And you have no one to stop you and say, hey, that's crazy, right? We all need someone like that. That, that person is my wife. That's why we have that argument context because sometimes I don't listen, right? But there are times where we need someone to slap us upside the head and say, hey, no. That's not reality. That's not the way it is. Listen to the word of God. Listen to reason. Look at your life. Look at what's going on. Look how blessed you are. Look how good God is. We need people to bring us back to that place of stability in our God. And we see in the book of Acts, chapter number 18, how God surrounded Paul with people. Here he comes, and it says in Acts chapter 18, this time verse number 2 and verse number 3. Look at Acts chapter number 18. Starting in verse number two. In verse number two, it starts out and it says this. It's talking about Paul. He came to Corinth and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded that all the Jews should depart from Rome. And he came to them. Verse three. So because he was of the same trade, everybody say the same trade. He, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation, they were tent makers or maybe leather workers. Think about this for a second. Paul comes to a new city. He doesn't know anybody. And he shows up and he finds a Jew named Aquila. Paul's a Jew. Pastor, where are you going with this? That's like saying a white man showed up to a city and found another white man or a black man showed up to another city and found another black man. I mean, what, what's the point of that? Hold on, I'm not done. Because not only did Paul show up to a new place and find another person that's of the same background, the same lineage as he is, a Jew, but he found a Jew who had recently been rejected and sent away from his home. Ah, 
now we're getting somewhere, aren't we? Because Paul had recently been rejected and sent away. But not only did he find a Jew who had recently been rejected and sent away, he found a Jew who had recently been rejected and sent away that was also of the same occupation as him. Wait a second, you're a te- I'm a tent mate. You know how to work with, I know how to work with leather. But not only did he find a Jew who was recently rejected and sent away who was a tent maker, he also found somebody that was new to the area. And Paul was new to the area. Did you know that most friendships start with, really, you too? That's how most friendships start. Wait, I thought I was the only one. I mean, wait a second. You put ketchup on your potato chips. I thought I was the only one that did. I thought I was weird. Everybody told me in my family I was weird. You, you, got, this, you, you got told the same thing? And all of a sudden, what do you have? You have a shared experience upon which to build a relationship. Many times, God will surround us with people who have similar backgrounds, similar stories, similar hurts, and similar rejections, similar occupations, and even people that are new to the area. Why? So that we can say, hey, you two, you know what, let's talk about this. Let's get together for some lunch. Man, I would love to go. We should get our kids together at the park and let them play while we talk, man. That would be wonderful. Oh, my goodness. You like studying the Bible? I like studying the Bible. You love Jesus? I love Jesus. Oh, my goodness. We've got something to build a relationship on. But it doesn't stop there. Look at what it goes on to say in Acts chapter number 18, this time verse number 5. Acts chapter 18, verse 5. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Notice, up until this point, most likely Paul had been building a case. Hey, Messiah is supposed to suffer. You see Isaiah 52, 53? You see the suffering servant here? That's Messiah. He was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. You all know that, right? He's going to be called a Nazarite. He's going to be from Nazareth. He's building a case about Messiah, that Messiah would have to come and suffer and die. He's probably showing them Psalm 21 and 22, Psalm 69. He's talking to them about the Messiah coming and suffering. They counted all my bones. They divided my garments. He's showing them all these scriptures about the Messiah who was to come. But when his homies roll up, what happens? The Bible says that he is compelled by the Spirit. That word compelled, we preached on it on a Wednesday night just recently. It means he was laid hold of. He had no other option. He was hedged in. And all of a sudden, it took hold and it took control and he couldn't just help himself. He blurted out, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And he determined in his heart at that moment to know nothing more than Christ and him crucified. Why? Because that is the power of God into salvation for all who believe. But he didn't have that. The Bible shares until Paul and Silas roll up, right? Timothy and Silas roll up. Why? Because oftentimes our boldness is connected to the people around us. If I'm going at it alone, I don't know if I can do it. But if I've got these two crazies behind me, man, let's roll ride or die right now. We can do this. Let's take this city for Jesus. Why? Because I got my guys with me right now. You see, God's answer for discouragement is found oftentimes in the others that he brings into your life. The people that he puts in strategic positions around you. Chuck Swindoll writes in his book, The Grace Awakening, during his days as president, Thomas Jefferson and a group of his companions were traveling across the country on horseback. They came to a river which had left its banks because of a recent downpour. The swollen river had washed the bridge away, and each rider was forced to ford the river on horseback, fighting for his life against the rapid currents. The very real possibility of death threatened 
each rider, which caused the traveler who was not a part of the group to step aside and watch. After several had plunged in, made it to the other side, the stranger asked the president if he would ferry him across the river. The president agreed without hesitation. The man climbed on. Shortly thereafter, the two of them made it safely to the other side. As the stranger slid off the back of the saddle onto dry ground, one of the group members asked him, he said, tell me, sir, why did you select the president to ask this favor of? The man was shocked, admitting that he had no idea that it was the president who had helped him. All I know, he said, is that on some of your faces was written the answer no, and on some of your faces was written the answer yes, and his was a yes face. See, I believe that God oftentimes will put people in our path, people in our way, people in our lives that have a yes face. And you can just tell when you come to church, probably today you came to church and you were looking at all the greeters at the doors and you saw some no faces, but then you saw a yes face and you said, I'm going to go walk through that door today. You came in, you saw some ushers seating people and you said, "Mm, no, no, yes. Why? Because God puts us in the context of relationship. It may not be that they have the no written on their face. It might just be that you see certain people and that you're comfortable around those people. Now, that doesn't mean we insulate from other people or that we start to silo ourselves and seclude ourselves from the rest of the body. No, we're connected to one another. We love and we honor each other. But there are just groups of people that God places strategically in our lives that we will be more connected to in the church. Why? To build you up, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to bring you along. When you get down, they lift you up. When you start to go backwards, they pull you back forwards. When you start to wander, they bring you back to the way. See, we need the context of others in our lives. And we need to be a people that has yes written across our face. Is anybody listening today? Last thing for us today is this. God reminds us of his presence. He surrounds us with his people. And the last thing is this, is that he sends us in his power. He sends us in his power. Remember that God had told Paul to speak and not be silent. He also told him that no one would attack him to hurt him. To hurt him. Let me say it one more time so you don't miss what I'm saying. To hurt him. Didn't mean they wouldn't attack, but they wouldn't attack to hurt. You understand? Because Paul had been beat up physically, literally, quite often. And now here he is, and God says, don't be afraid, Paul. Speak and don't be silent. I'm with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Paul, I'm surrounding you with people. You don't have to be afraid in this moment. You've got me, you've got the people of God, but also you've got my power that even though they'll attack, they won't hurt. Okay? Let me show this to you in Acts because the Jews rise up against Paul in Acts chapter number 18. And as they bring him before the proconsul, something amazing happens. Acts chapter 18, verse number 12 through verse number 16. Acts chapter 18, verse number 12 says this, when Galileo was proconsul in Achaia, Achaia was the region that Paul was in, and Corinth was the capital of that region, all right? So it says, well, Galileo was proconsul of Achaia. The Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. So they basically dragged him into court. And it says this in verse 13, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Verse 14, and when Paul was about to open his mouth, stop, get a picture persecution's arisen. They've dragged Paul into court. They put him in front of the proconsul, and they lay an accusation out against him. Paul is used to this. Paul is getting ready to make his defense, and he goes, <gasps> and breathes some air, and he's getting ready to speak and open his mouth, right? <gasps> right there at that moment, 
He's about ready to talk. Look at what happens in the next part of the verse. When Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. Verse 15, but if it's a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves. For I do not want to be a judge in such matters. Verse 16, and he drove them from the judgment seat. In other words, you bother me, kid. Get out of here. And it says that as they left, the Greeks got so mad, they took the leader of the synagogue at that time, and they beat him up right there in front of him, and he just didn't even notice. He just kind of turned a blind eye. Yeah, whatever, beat the guy up. Don't worry about it, right? Notice they dragged Paul in there to harm him and to hurt him, and they ended up harming themselves. God stopped the beating. They did not hurt Paul at that moment. God just took care of it. Listen, Paul, I got many people in this city. This proconsul, he may be ungodly, but the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it like a water course wherever he desires. You know what, Paul? This guy could have had you beat up, put in prison just like in Philippi, but guess what? He's going to say, hey, y'all handle this yourselves. Get out of here, right? And they didn't harm Paul at all. Wow. See, God will send you in his power. We need to realize that we have the power of God on our behalf. We have the power of God. We have the Holy Spirit on our side, the very power of God himself living on the inside of us. J. Vernon McGee, famed preacher and Bible commentator, shared the following firsthand experience in one of his Bible commentaries. He says, right before World War II, the city of Pasadena was having its annual rose parade. The float that was entered by the Standard Oil Company was covered with American beauty roses. It was a sight to behold. The theme of the parade was be prepared. Right in the middle of the parade, the Standard Oil Company's float ran out of gas. It stopped right where I was viewing the parade. I couldn't help but laugh. If there was one float that should not have run out of gas, it was that one. Standard Oil Company should have had plenty of gas. As I looked at the float, I saw a picture of many Christians today. They're beautiful, but they have no power in their lives. Church, we need to realize that we have the power of God. We need to realize that as the church of Almighty God, we should never run out of gas. You may get discouraged, things may come against you, things may try and halt you, things may try and stop you, but you have the very power of God. And if you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, that word be filled in the book of Ephesians means be being filled. If you will continually fill up on the Spirit of God, you will never run out of gas. You will keep moving forward into the destiny and the plan that God has for you. Now we started reading in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, and we left Paul in a state of weakness, fear, and much trembling. You guys remember that? Weakness, fear, and much trembling. But I'd like to read verse number four and verse number five and see if Paul got out of this slump. Let's see if Paul got out of this discouraging moment. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter two, verse number four and verse number five. He says, in my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit... And of what, what, what? What's that word right there? Come on, help me preach this message today. What's that word? Online, can you help us preach? We're going to say this one more time. I want you to shout it at your TV so loud that your neighbors get nervous right now. What's that last word there? Power. Verse 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
If all you know, if all you've got is one scripture that says that Jesus died, if that's all you got, then that's all you need. If all you knew was that Jesus Christ rose from the dead for our justification, that's all you need. Listen, you don't have to know what I know. You don't got to know what your neighbors know. You don't got to write a commentary. All you've got to do is get the word of God on the inside of you, and that word is a seed that if you will believe it, it has the power within itself to produce after its own kind. You have the power of God. You've got the ability of God. By him you can run against a troop. By him you can climb over a wall. Your arm can bend a bowl of steel. You have the very power of God, the creator, on the inside of you. If God be for you, who can be against you? If God is on your side, what can man do to you? Why are you holding back? Why are you discouraged? Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Because God has an answer for discouragement, doesn't he? What does God do? He reminds us of his presence. I'm with you. He surrounds us with his people. I got many people in this city. Got many people here at the Rock Church. Got many people in the Inland Empire. I've got people that I must surround you with that are going to build you up. And finally, he sends us in his power. Let's pray together today. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? Come on online. Join us in prayer right now. Father, we're grateful today for the power of your word which we have received. God, I pray, Lord, for this congregation. Lord, many discouraged, many downcast. Many had a tough year in 2020, and 2021 doesn't look much different. The sorrows have spilled over. Pressures have taken their toll. Stress has affected them, God. I lift each and every one up to you. God, in this moment, may they sense a tangible presence, both near and far, live and online, God, wherever they're at. Would you just speak a word to their heart right now, God? Today, would you just take a moment and would you pray in us, God, if you haven't already? God, what are you speaking to me? There are those of you that heard this. I'm going to speak by the Spirit of God because he's prompting me to do this again. I did this yesterday. But God's speaking it to me fresh today. God spoke to you these words, and he wants me to say them so that it's a witness to you that you're hearing from God, because you don't know if you are, and you're doubting it. God spoke these words, I am with you. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every matter be established. You just heard from God, and he's reminding you of his presence. What is God speaking to you? For some of you, God is showing you people with a yes on their face. Saying, it's okay. These are people who are safe. You can befriend them. You've got your guard up because you've been hurt. But I've got many people 
And these are some people who are safe with a yes on their face. What's God speaking to you? For some of you, you ran out of gas. Today, God is saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Would you, if that's you, would you just lift up a hand? Remember, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you just lift up a hand or two to the Lord? Just take a deep breath in. Take a deep breath in right now. The Bible often talks about the Spirit as breath, the breath of God, the Ruach in the Old Testament, the Hebrew. As you take that breath in, you're symbolically saying, I'm breathing in, I'm taking in, I'm receiving of your Holy Spirit right now, Lord. Just breathe in deep. Thank you, God, for your spirit. Thank you for your presence. Oh, Father, that times of refreshing would come to those who have their hands raised right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for filling your people. Those that are burnt out, those that are weary. Oh, Father, as they wait on you, may you refresh them. May they run in your strength. Thank you, Lord. If you haven't already and God spoke to you, just write it down. Put a pen to paper, maybe a note on your phone, your tablet, whatever you got. Put it down where you can remember it. Somebody asked me the other day, you got any ideas for this? I said, I did, but I forgot them. Why? Because I didn't write them down. I don't want you to forget. Write it down quick. If you're here with a faithful friend, maybe a spouse, family member, child, parent, somebody with a yes face around you, they just want to share, hey, God spoke this to me. Show them the note. Maybe whisper it in their ear right now. If you're watching online with your family or group of friends, some people that you feel safe with, maybe just share that right now. Share what God spoke to you. If it's appropriate, you want to put it in the comments online, maybe the scripture God gave you or maybe a, a word that God gave your heart, put that there in the comments section. There's some yes people, yes faced people hosting online that would love to encourage you right now in that word. You know, it brings accountability, but it also brings agreement. And when there's agreement, we can cross any river. Father, we're so grateful today for the words that you've spoken to us, God. We receive it with meekness. God, we are readily submitted, ready to do what it is you've called us to do. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your people. God, thank you for your power in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.